Chapter Two of the Queen of Hearts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Queen of Hearts by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Two, Part Two. The first ordeal to which this alarming letter forced me to submit was the breaking of the news it contained to my two brothers. The disclosure affected them very differently. Poor dear Owen merely turned pale, lifted his weak thin hands in a panic-stricken manner, and then sat staring at me in speechless and motionless bewilderment. Morgan stood up straight before me, plunged both his hands into his pockets, burst suddenly into the harshest laugh I ever heard from his lips, and told me with an air of triumph that it was exactly what he expected. "'What you expected?' I repeated in astonishment. "'Yes,' returned Morgan, with his bitterest emphasis. "'It doesn't surprise me in the least. It's the way things go in this world. It's the regular moral seesaw of good and evil. The old story with the old end to it. They were too happy in the Garden of Eden. Down comes the serpent and turns them out. Solomon was too wise. Down comes the Queen of Sheba and makes a fool of him. We've been too comfortable at the Glen Tower. Down comes a woman and sets us all three by the ears together. All I wonder at is that it hasn't happened before. With those words, Morgan resignedly took out his pipe, put on his old felt hat and turned to the door. You're not going away before she comes, exclaimed Owen piteously. "'Don't leave us. Please don't leave us.' "'Going?' cried Morgan, with great contempt. "'What should I gain by that? "'When destiny has found a man out and heated his gridiron for him, "'he has nothing left to do that I know of but to get up and sit on it.' "'I opened my lips to protest against the implied comparison "'between a young lady and a hot gridiron. "'But before I could speak, Morgan was gone.' "'Well,' I said to Owen, "'we must make the best of it. "'We must brush up our manners "'and set the house tidy "'and amuse her as well as we can. "'The difficulty is where to put her, "'and when that's settled, "'the next puzzle will be "'what to order in to make her comfortable. "'It's a hard thing, brother, "'to say what will or will not "'please a young lady's taste.' "'Owen looked absently at me, "'in greater bewilderment than ever, "'opened his eyes in perplexed consideration, repeated to himself slowly the word tastes and then helped me with this suggestion hadn't we better begin griffith by getting her a plum cake my dear owen i remonstrated it is a grown young woman who is coming to see us not a little girl from school oh said owen more confused than before yes i see we couldn't do wrong i suppose could we if we got her a little dog and a lot of new gowns there was evidently no more help in the way of advice to be expected from Owen than from Morgan himself. As I came to that conclusion, I saw through the window our old housekeeper on her way with her basket to the kitchen garden, and left the room to ascertain if she could assist us. To my great dismay, the housekeeper took even a more gloomy view than Morgan of the approaching event. When I had explained all the circumstances to her, she carefully put down her basket, crossed her arms, and said to me in slow, deliberate, mysterious tones, "'You want my advice about what's to be done with this young woman? Well, sir, here's my advice. 
don't you trouble your head about her it won't be no use mind i tell you it won't be no use what do you mean you look at this place sir it's more like a prison than a house isn't it you look at us as lives in it we've got saving your presence a foot apiece in our graves haven't we when you was young yourself sir what would you have done if they had shut you up for six weeks in such a place as this among your grandfathers and grandmothers with their feet in the grave i really can't say i can sir you'd have run away she'll run away don't you worry your head about her she'll save you the trouble i tell you again she'll run away with those ominous words the housekeeper took up her basket sighed heavily and left me i sat down under a tree quite helpless here was the whole responsibility shifted upon my miserable shoulders not a lady in the neighbourhood to whom i could apply for assistance and the nearest shop eight miles distant from us the toughest case i ever had to conduct when i was at the bar was plain sailing compared with the difficulty of receiving our fair guest it was absolutely necessary however to decide at once where she was to sleep all the rooms in the tower were of stone dark gloomy and cold even in the summer time impossible to put her in any one of them the only other alternative was to lodge her in the little modern lean-to which i have already described as being tacked on to the side of the old building it contained three cottage rooms and they might be made barely habitable for a young lady but then those rooms were occupied by morgan his books were in one his bed was in another his pipes and general lumber within the third could i expect him after the sour similitudes he had used in reference to our expected visitor to turn out of his habitation and disarrange all his habits for her convenience the bare idea of proposing the thing to him seemed ridiculous and yet inexorable necessity left me no choice but to make the hopeless experiment i walked back to the tower hastily and desperately to face the worst that might happen before my courage cooled altogether on crossing the threshold of the hall door i was stopped to my great amazement by a procession of three of the farm servants followed by morgan all walking after each other in indian file towards the spiral staircase that led to the top of the tower the first of the servants carried the materials for making a fire the second bore an inverted armchair on his head the third tottered under a heavy load of books, while Morgan came last with his canister of tobacco in his hand, his dressing-gown over his shoulders, and his whole collection of pipes hugged up together in a bundle under his arm. "'What on earth does this mean?' I inquired. "'It means taking time by the forelock,' answered Morgan, looking at me with a smile of sour satisfaction. "'I've got the start of your young woman, Griffith, and I'm making the most of it but where in heaven's name are you going i asked as the head man of the procession disappeared with his firing up to the staircase how high is this tower retorted morgan seven stories to be sure i replied very good said my eccentric brother setting his foot on the first stair i'm going up to the seventh you can't i shouted she can't you mean said morgan and that's exactly why i'm going there but the room is not furnished it's out of her reach one of the windows has fallen to pieces it's out of her reach there's a crow's nest in the corner it's out of her reach by the time this unanswerable argument had attained its third repetition morgan in his turn had disappeared up the winding stairs i knew him too well to attempt any further protest 
here was my first difficulty smoothed away almost unexpectedly for here were the rooms in the lean-to placed by their owners free act and deed at my disposal i wrote on the spot to one of the upholsterer of our distant county to come down immediately and survey the premises and sent off a mounted messenger with the letter this done and the necessary order also dispatched to the carpenter and glazier to set them at work on morgan's sky parlour in the seventh story i began to feel for the first time as if my scattered wits were coming back to me by the time the evening had closed in i had hit on no less than three excellent ideas all providing for the future comfort and amusement of our fair guest the first idea was to get her a welsh pony the second was to hire a piano from the county town the third was to send for a boxful of novels from london i must confess i thought these projects were pleasing her very happily conceived and owen agreed with me morgan as usual took the opposite view he said she would yawn over the novels turn up her nose at the piano and fracture her skull with the pony as for the housekeeper she stuck to her text as stoutly in the evening as she had stuck to it in the morning piano or no piano story-book or no story-book pony or no pony you mark my word sir that young woman will run away such were the housekeeper's parting words when she wished me good-night when the next morning came and brought with it that terrible waking time which sets a man's hopes and projects before him the great as well as the small stripped bare of every illusion it is not to be concealed that i felt less sanguine of our success and entertaining the coming guest so far as external preparations were concerned there seemed indeed but little to improve but apart from these what had we to offer in ourselves and our society to attract her there lay the knotty point of the question and there the grand difficulty of finding an answer i fall into serious reflection while i am dressing on the pursuits and occupations with which we three brothers have been accustomed for years past to beguile the time are they at all likely in the case of any one of us to interest or amuse her my chief occupation to begin with the youngest consists in acting as a steward on owen's property the routine of my duties has never lost its sober attraction to my tastes for it has always employed me in watching the best interests of my brother and of my son also who is one day to be his heir but can i expect our fair guest to sympathize with such family concerns as these clearly not morgan's pursuit comes next in order of review a pursuit of a far more ambitious nature than mine it was always part of my second brother's whimsical self-contradictory character to view with the profoundest contempt the learned profession by which he gained his livelihood and he is now occupying the long leisure hours of his old age in composing a voluminous treatise intended one of these days to eject the whole body corporate of doctors from the position which they have usurped in the estimation of their fellow creatures this daring work is entitled an examination of the claims of medicine on the gratitude of mankind decided in the negative by a retired physician so far as i can tell the book is likely to extend to the dimensions of an encyclopaedia for it is morgan's plan to treat his comprehensive subject principally from the historical point of view and to run down all the doctors of antiquity 
one after another in regular succession from the first of the tribe when i last heard of his progress he was hard on the heels of hippocrates but had no immediate prospect of tripping up his successor is this the sort of occupation i asked myself in which a modern young lady is likely to feel the slightest interest once again clearly not owen's favourite employment is in its way quite as characteristic as morgan's and it has the great additional advantage of appealing to a much larger variety of tastes my eldest brother great at drawing and painting when he was a lad always interested in artists and their works in after-life has resumed in his declining years the holiday occupation of his schoolboy days as an amateur landscape painter he works with more satisfaction to himself uses more colour wears out more brushes and makes a greater smell of paint in his studio than any artist by profession native or foreign whom i ever met with in look in manner and in disposition the gentlest of mankind owen by some singular anomaly in his character which he seems to have caught from morgan glories placidly in the wildest and most frightful range of subjects which his art is capable of representing immeasurable ruins in howling wildernesses with blood-red sunsets gleaming over them thunder-clouds rent with lightning hovering over splitting trees on the verges of awful precipices hurricanes shipwrecks waves and whirlpools follow each other on his canvas without an intervening glimpse of a quiet everyday nature to relieve the succession of pictorial horrors when i see him at his easel so neat and quiet so unpretending and modest in himself with such a composed expression on his attentive face with such a weak white hand to guide such bold big brushes and when i look at the frightful canvas full of terrors which he is serenely aggravating in fierceness and intensity with every successive touch i find it difficult to realise the connection between my brother and his work though i see them before me not six inches apart will this quaint spectacle possess any humorous attractions for miss jessie perhaps it may there is some slight chance that owen's employment will be lucky enough to interest her thus far my morning cogitations advance doubtfully enough but they altogether fail in carrying me beyond the narrow circle of the glen tower i try hard in our visitor's interest to look into the resources of the little world around us and i find my efforts rewarded by the prospect of a total blank is there any presentable living soul in the neighbourhood whom we can invite to meet her not one there are as i have already said no country seats near us and society in the county town has long since learned to regard us as three misanthropes strongly suspected from our monastic way of life and our dismal black costume of being popish priests in disguise in other parts of england the clergyman of the parish might help us out of our difficulty but here in south wales and in this latter half of the nineteenth century we have the old type parson of the days of fielding still in a state of perfect preservation our local clergyman receives a stipend which is too paltry to bear comparison with the wages of an ordinary mechanic in dress manners and tastes he is about on the level with the upper class of agricultural labourer when attempts have been made by well-meaning gentlefolks to recognise the claims of his profession by asking him to their houses he has been known on more than one occasion to leave his ploughman's pair of shoes in the hall 
and enter the drawing-room respectfully in his stockings where he preaches miles and miles away from us and from the poor cottage in which he lives if he sees any of the company in the squire's pew yawn or fidget in their places he takes it as a hint that they are tired of listening and closes his sermon instantly at the end of the sentence can we ask this most irreverend and unclerical of men to meet a young lady i doubt even if we made the attempt whether we should succeed by fair means in getting him beyond the servants hall dismissing therefore all idea of inviting visitors to entertain our guest and feeling at the same time more than doubtful of her chance of discovering any attraction in the sober society of the inmates of the house i finish my dressing and go down to breakfast secretly veering round to the housekeeper's opinion that miss jessie will really bring matters to an abrupt conclusion by running away i find morgan as bitterly resigned to his destiny as ever and owen so affectionately anxious to make himself of some use and so lamentably ignorant of how to begin that i am driven to disembarrass myself of him at the outset by a stratagem i suggest to him that our visitor is sure to be interested in pictures and that it would be a pretty attention on his part to paint her a landscape to hang up in her room owen brightens directly informs me in his softest tones that he is then at work on the earthquake at lisbon and inquires whether i think she would like that subject i preserve my gravity sufficiently to answer in the affirmative and my brother retires meekly to his studio to depict the engulfing of a city and the destruction of a population morgan withdraws in his turn to the top of the tower threatening when our guest comes to draw all his meals up to his new residence by means of a basket and string i am left alone for an hour and then the upholsterer arrives from the county town this worthy man on being informed of our emergency sees his way apparently to a good stroke of business and thereupon wins my lasting gratitude by taking in opposition to every one else a bright and hopeful view of existing circumstances you'll excuse me sir he says confidentially when i show him the rooms up in the lean-to but this is a matter of experience i'm a family man myself with grown-up daughters of my own and the natures of young women are well known to me make their rooms comfortable and you make them happy surround their lives sir with a suitable atmosphere of furniture and you never hear a word of complaint drop from their lips now with regard to these rooms for example sir you put a neat french bedstead in that corner curtains conformable say a tasty chintz you put on that bedstead what i will term a sufficiency of bedding and you top up with a sweet little eider-down quilt as light as roses and similar in the same colour you do that and what follows you please her eye when she lies down at night and you please her eye when she gets up in the morning and you're all right so far and so is she i will not dwell sir on the toilet table nor will i seek to detain you about the glass to show her figure and the other glass to show her face because i have the articles in stock and will be myself answerable for their effect on a lady's mind and person he led the way into the next room as he spoke and arranged its future fittings and decorations as he had already planned out the bedroom with the strictest reference to the connection which experience had shown him to exist between comfortable furniture and female happiness thus far in my helpless state of mind the man's confidence had impressed me in spite of myself and i had listened to him in superstitious silence 
but as he continued to rise by regular gradations from one climax of upholstery to another warning visions of his bill disclosed themselves in the remote background of the scene of luxury and magnificence which my friend was conjuring up certain sharp professional instincts of bygone times resumed their influence over me i began to start doubts and ask questions and as a necessary consequence the interview between us soon assumed something like a practical form having ascertained what the probable expense of furnishing would amount to and having discovered that the process of transforming the lean-to allowing from the time required to procure certain articles of rarity from bristol would occupy nearly a fortnight i dismissed the upholsterer with the understanding that i should take a day or two for consideration and let him know the result it was then the fifth of september and our queen of hearts was to arrive on the twentieth the work therefore if it was begun on the seventh or eighth would be begun in time in making all my calculations with a reference to the twentieth of september i relied implicitly it will be observed on a young lady's punctuality in keeping an appointment which she herself had made i can only account for such extraordinary simplicity on my part on the supposition that my wits had become sadly rusted by long seclusion from society whether it was referable to this cause or not my innocent trustfulness was at any rate destined to be practically rebuked before long in the most surprising manner little did i suspect when i parted from the upholsterer on the fifth of the month what the tenth of the month had in store for me on the seventh i made up my mind to have the bedroom furnished at once and to postpone the question of the sitting-room for a few days longer having dispatched the necessary order to that effect i next wrote to hire the piano and to order the box of novels this done i congratulated myself on the forward state of the preparations and sat down to repose in the atmosphere of my own happy delusions on the ninth the wagon arrived with the furniture and the men set to work on the bedroom from this moment morgan retired definitely to the top of the tower and owen became too nervous to lay the necessary amount of paint on the earthquake at lisbon on the tenth the work was proceeding bravely toward noon owen and i strolled to the door to enjoy the fine autumn sunshine we were sitting lazily on our favourite bench in front of the tower when we were startled by a shout from above us looking up directly we saw morgan half in and half out of his narrow window in the seventh story gesticulating violently with the stem of his long meerschaum pipe in the direction of the road below us we gazed eagerly in the quarter thus indicated but our low position prevented us for some time from seeing anything at last we both discerned an old yellow post-chaise distinctly and indisputably approaching us owen and i looked at one another in panic-stricken silence it was coming to us and what did it contain do pianos travel in chases are boxes of novels conveyed to their destination by a postillion we expected the piano and expected the novels but nothing else unquestionably nothing else the chase took the turn in the road passed through the gateless gap in our rough enclosure wall of loose stone and rapidly approached us a bonnet appeared at the window and a hand gaily waved a white handkerchief powers of caprice confusion and dismay it was jessie yelverton herself arriving without a word of warning exactly ten days before her time End of chapter two part two
Recording by Peter John Keeble, Nottingham, United Kingdom.